0: Church, go ahead and be seated and grab those Bibles if you would. I invite you to take them and open them up to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're not quite ready uh, for Romans chapter 12. We began our journey through the book of Romans a year and a half ago. Uh, Really, uh, it's been 18 months almost since we started, 46, 47 messages into it. We've laid the theological foundation that's necessary. We're about to get into the aspects of how to apply these truths to our hearts and lives and what our lives should look like as believers in Christ. But before we get to the practical aspect of it, I want to pause just for a bit and Make sure that we're fully prepared for what's to come. I recognize that God has entrusted me with what I would consider the most precious assignment in the whole world, and that is the spiritual caretaking of His family, the church. I realize that should I become ineffective in what I do, then the the very souls of this church family is in great danger. It means what I do, and ultimately the person that I, I am and become, as I submit and surrender more fully to my Savior, what I do matters. I'm not playing a game. I'm not playing church I'm not trying to please every individual. That, that people-pleasing aspect in my life has died. I, I told you before I even got here that I'm much more concerned about your holiness than I am your happiness. And quite frankly, we should all desire holiness over happiness. The reality is that we are at war with an adversary. An adversary that is seeking to kill, steal, destroy. It's not a game. We're at war with with Satan and the forces of darkness for the very hearts, minds, and souls of every person. Therefore, I understand that my job is to preach and proclaim the the Word of God and to do it without apology and to do it boldly because that's what He expects. Because there are eternal consequences are at stake. So when I preach from the Word of God and and when I share a message from His Word and, and you don't like what it is that you're hearing, then it doesn't mean it's any less true whether you like it or you don't like it. When I celebrate the the sanctity of life, when I proclaim that life begins at conception, and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, if that seems too harsh to you, if that seems unkind or unloving to you, then may you know that your issue is not with me. Your issue is with the sovereignty of God. when I preach or make decisions that are based upon the Word of God and it rubs us the wrong way, perhaps that might just be God's way of getting your attention. Think about it. You might not like it. You might get angry. It might make you upset. But think about it. Your issue isn't against me or the elders or the church, your issue is with the Word of God. And ultimately, that puts you at odds with the Father. I get it, man, that there is a a heavy weight that one must bear in, in being a pastor. I recognize the intense pressure that it brings in in my life, but I also recognize that it brings intense pressure, not just to my life, but also to my wife and to my children. I know that Satan stands ready to attack us at any and every opportunity that he may. Our lives are played out like we're goldfish living in a, in a fishbowl with the entire eyes of the congregation and the community just watching our every move. Like, I get that. I get it. I welcome that. And I think it's right for, for pastors and their families for there to be an exp, expectation that, that they are model families. I have no problem with that. I receive that. I welcome that. But the problem becomes is when we begin to uh, expect perfection to the extent that neither a pastor or his wife or his children can ever make a mistake or do something wrong. It seems as though that we put a, a lot of pressure on, on pastors to, to always be up, always be cheerful, always have a word of encouragement to share. Pastors are, are always expected never to be down, never to be discouraged, never to be distracted with other people, other things, or other circumstances in life. Pastors are always expected to just have a minute. No matter when that minute may occur in their lives. Always expected to have An issue immediately for whatever is at hand. I mean, these are mind-boggling things to consider, and I warmly welcome them into my life. But it can be hard. It can be challenging. It's hard when when we find disappointment. Whenever we become overwhelmed in our own lives. It's hard to deal with the disappointment from members or attenders or other people who, who get upset because, he didn't say hi to me today. I try to talk to the pastor, but he just seems so distracted. Mind you, you try to talk to the pastor before the sermon, but, but that doesn't it was convenient for you therefore it must be convenient for for the pastor and so if they seem distracted in that conversation there's a tendency to be frustrated because why is he distracted why can't he just pay attention to me i i'm hurt or i'm offended because the pastor didn't come over to my house to visit me but yet never is there an uh, an appeal or an invitation for one to show up. So how are pastors to know they're invited if they're never invited? And when we fail to, to hit that unknown invitation and then there's frustration and there's this, I'm done, I can't, I can't go there because they just don't seem to care. It might seem as though your pastor is in a bad spot today. I'm not. I'm good. I'm thankful. I'm at peace. I, I see my life as being extremely blessed by God. I'm thankful that I'm even alive today to be able to do what God has called me to do. But I recognize it's just not easy. And sometimes it it becomes challenging. And I'm saying that, laying the groundwork, realizing that when we begin to unpack the rest of Romans, it is going to be challenging. Because some of us have grown quite comfortable attending and never engaging. And you're going to be pushed. You're going to be challenged. And as you get pushed and as you're challenged, I encourage you, To look at what the Word of God has to say as you develop your response as we go through the rest of Romans. But today, we're in Ephesians chapter 3 because I want to look at a prayer that Paul had for the church in Ephesus. Having said all that I had to say about the hardships of, of being a pastor, I want you to know that there is nothing more that I would rather do than to give my life in service to God and this church. And I am thankful for the privilege that God has given unto me. Paul writes this letter. And we pick up in in, in chapter 3. We find this prayer. Looking at verse number 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length Height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This passage is a prayer to God, and in this prayer, it's a prayer to strengthen us, to strengthen believers through the power of His Spirit. I feel as though I'm cutting in and out. Am I? a little bit. Joel, switch with me, will you? Oh, never mind. It's right here. So, yeah, there we go. The uh, The passage is about a prayer. Prayer asking for strength. Strength through the power. Power through the Spirit. That word power in verse number 16 uh, comes from a Greek word, dynamis, dynamis. It should sound familiar. It's where we get our English word dynamite, right? And so this word appears over and over throughout the New Testament. In fact, you'll find this word uh, around 119 different times. Depending on where you find it, it's either translated as power might, strength, or even authority. Ultimately, this word refers to the omnipotence of the everlasting God who strengthens us to do whatever He assigns us to do through the power that He enables us with the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? I'll do it again. It's the omnipotence of the everlasting God who strengthens us to do whatever he assigns us to do through the power that he enables us with the Holy Spirit. The power of God is a marvelous thing. We are blessed richly because of the power of God. We see this throughout Scripture. I'm going to give you some examples for instance, it is the power of God that saves us. Romans 1:16 says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power, the dynamis of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek." So it's the power of God that saves us. It's the power of God that empowers our our witness. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. It is the power of God that makes us overflow with joy and peace. Romans 15 verse 13 says, now may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the holy spirit it's the power of god that enables us to to make an impact on the world 2nd corinthians chapter 4 verse number 7 but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. It is the power of God that gives us confidence for whatever comes in our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Oh, there's more. It's the power of God that provides everything that we need. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence oh well, i promise you i'm not giving you all 119 examples i just have a few more it's the power of god that keeps us going When we're attacked, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. It's the power of God that keeps us fresh and flourishing in our work for him. Colossians chapter 1 says. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power. According to his glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously. One more. It is the, power, the power of God is nothing less than the personal power of Jesus Christ that has been given to us through the Holy Spirit. Col- Col- Colossians chapter 1 verse number 29 says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. Oh, well, there's a couple there. His power and the word mightily. Both of those words come from the same root word, dynamis. Which means that His energy energizes me. His power empowers us. Now, I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter 3. Although this is a single prayer... The the prayer begins in in verse number 14. It's one sentence that goes from verse number 14 all the way to verse number 19. Although it's a one-sentence prayer, the actual request begins in verse number 16. Pick up in verse 16. He says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The first part of Paul's request is that God, according to His riches in glory, that God might strengthen believers, strengthen believers with His power, With dynamus, the dynamic living power of God, that according to his riches of his glory might strengthen the believers with power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. This is beautiful. The result of all of it is that through faith, Christ may dwell in our hearts. And that word "well" is an important word. It comes from a Greek word, katakeo. Katakeo means that not only does Jesus live in us, it means that he is literally at home in us. It means that Jesus is the very center of our lives, that he is deeply rooted in our lives. It means that Jesus is the dominating factor in our attitudes and in our actions. And so what, what Paul is praying for, for the church, he's praying for a deeper experience between Christ and his people. He's yearning for Christ to, to settle down and to feel at home in their hearts. In other words, it's not about a surface relationship. It's about an ever-deepening fellowship with God through the Son. The New Living Translation captures this thought in the rendering of the verse. I'll read to you the New Living Translation, verses 16 and 17. It says, I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Paul continues his prayer by repeating the request. The request that Christ be the center of believers' lives. Because verse 17 continues And he says, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Paul's mixing some metaphors here. He's taking biological and architectural terminology. He says, being rooted like a plant or being grounded like a building. He's saying that these uh, participles of being rooted and being grounded are in the perfect tense. When something is in the perfect tense, that means it is a past action that has a continual results. It's a past action with continuing results. So it's like trees. Like trees, our lives are to develop deep, roots in God's love or or like a building the structure of our lives are to have a solid foundation on the love of God so if we are properly rooted if we are properly constructed on the foundation of love then nothing will be able to shake us and that's beautiful The purpose of the whole prayer is seen in verses 18 and 19. It says that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Paul is praying... That we would fully grasp and understand along with the saints in glory just how wide, how long, how high and how deep the love of Christ actually is. Paul wants us to personally know that this love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. Oh, there are dimensions but they can't be measured. Which ultimately, what Paul is saying is that we are so rich in Christ that even our riches cannot be calculated. Robert Morgan, in his book called The Strength That You Need, I I love the book. We've gone through the book a few different occasions through Uh, Things like uh, 323 Fitness, or even before we got here, Red Sea Rules and, and, and stuff And when we were in Kansas. Robert Morgan wrote a book called The Strength You Need. In one of his chapters, he states it like this. He says, how wide is the love of God? It's as wide as the outstretched arms of Christ on the cross. Wide enough to take everybody in. Broad enough to reach you. How long is the love of God? He loves us with an everlasting love. There never was a time when God did not love you. And there will never be a time when He does not love you. His love reaches from everlasting to everlasting. It expands to eternities. Eternity past and eternity future. How high is the love of God? It's higher than the highest stars. It's as high as the highest heaven, as high as the highest throne. It lifts us up to heaven and it lifts us up to God. How deep is the love of God? It's deeper than all of our problems and pain. It's deeper than our distresses and disasters. It's deep enough to reach down into the depths of our sin and our grief and to pluck us out of it all. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of our Father? With that in mind, look back at Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. But now we get to chapter 4. By the time you get to chapter 4, you begin to understand how important it is for Christ to be the center of our being. And in chapter 4, he starts talking about unity in the Spirit. Real quick, look, look down at verse number 11. He says, and he gave some as apostles. This is God's gift to the church, the structure, the leadership. He says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the purpose, for the equipping of the saints, for the works of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the, of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He says at the beginning of verse 13, until we all attain the unity of faith. Unity is only possible when unity is based or built upon solid biblical teaching. Then he says in verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here, and there. Uh, children that are tossed here and there are, are children who are not grounded in doctrine. They they don't have a solid biblical doctrine and understanding of the word of God. That's why they're tossed about. They're tossed here and there by waves and they're carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's why so many in the church are so willing to receive and embrace false teaching. The reason is they don't even understand the true word of God. And because their knowledge isn't built on the biblical foundation, then they're tossed about, they're blown around, and they'll, 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 they'll be deceived by something that just sounds good. He's not done. In verse 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Uh, it's a very significant verse, verse 16. From whom the whole body, the whole body, being fitted and held Together, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Or oh, I, I wrote a little note in my Bible in my margins here, and I said a godly, biblical church growth results. From the members fully using their spiritual gifts. Fully using their spiritual gifts in submission to the Holy Spirit and in cooperation with other believers. Every member has its function, every child of God has its part. Everybody has a role to be played. The strength of the church is increased. Its effectiveness is increased when all of its members understand who they are in Christ and are living their lives in submission to God. Exercising their spiritual giftedness for the advancement of the gospel and for the glory of God. Every one of us has a role to fulfill. And we're going to get to that. Paul maps it out clearly in Romans chapter 12. Just before we get there, I need you to understand that it's nothing without the power of God working in and through our lives. We're only able to do what he calls us to do because he blesses us with his spirit who empowers us with the ability to be faithful to what he expects from us. It's all because of him, and it's all for him. And this church will be strengthened in its effectiveness and in its influence in our communities when all of its members begin to understand that they have a role to play and they have a responsibility to fulfill and that we will do this in submission to the Holy Spirit and in cooperation with each other. The gospel will be proclaimed and God will receive all the glory. I'm going to end by inviting you to, to stand. I'm going to pray us out today. If you'd like to talk about any of this after the service, we are here and available for you. We'd love nothing more to, than to be able to, to talk with you and to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, Thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for everyone that are here. The privilege of being able to open your word. Can I pray that we will reflect on who we are and what we're doing with our lives. God, help each and every one of us to understand what you have called us to do. God, help us all to understand that not only have you called us to do something, you've empowered us with the Holy Spirit to carry out the calling in our lives. There's no need for us to be frustrated or discouraged. The road ahead of us might be difficult. will at times be challenging. But we can have confidence in knowing that you will never leave us forsake us, abandon us along the way, that you are faithful and true, and we can cling to that, Father. Help us to love you more today than we ever thought possible. Help us to demonstrate that love with our words and with our actions. God, help us to be willing to, to take that inventory in our lives and Repent from the sin that's present in us, seeking your forgiveness and receiving your grace and moving forward in love to proclaim your truth to the whole world. And God, may we serve you with all that we have until you call us to be home with you in glory. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. See you next time, church.